Welcome to the Sports Finder Podcast. Let's get ready to rumble! Sports Finder community, we're back with our regular segment where we speak to great people from the world of sport. And today, it is no different. I have Mr. Baba Gerdert from Varsity Esports Foundation. I hope I said that right, Baba. That's uh, you said the first name right. That's that's what matters, Bubba. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bubba. It's Bubba Gatter. That's all good. Bubba, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I'm, uh, thanks for having me, sir. It's my absolute pleasure, Bubba. Before we um, get into all the great things that you're currently working on, um, who was Bubba as a young man at school? Take me mm. back in time. Oh, a little, a little jerk, probably a, a little, <laughs> little punk. More than likely. Um, I mean, it depends on, depends on if it's, you know, grades under five or under eight or, you know, here in the States, we call it elementary, middle school, high school. So really secondary school. I think I really blossomed probably in uh, fr- my freshman year in uh, grade nine where, you know, I started having friends in school and sitting at the cool table and uh at lunch and you know going bowling and whatnot with the with the friends and you know joining clubs playing sports i didn't play sports until my freshman year of high school so i was uh in different activities before that like taekwondo and and other activities but yeah sports sports is where i started in freshman year and i think that kind of helped me blossom a lot with with uh, just being engaged in actual school activities yeah nice after school, where did you head off to? College? After after high school, I played some soccer at a small uh, NAIA school in Oklahoma, uh, Southern Nazarene University. Just I really didn't even plan on going. Um, I my grades weren't great. I, w- I didn't plan on going to college. I mean, my mom my mom said, you know, honey, school's not for everybody. And I thought with my two point five GPA and and uh, my drive and passion for school, as in there was none, I thought, yeah, maybe school isn't for everybody. And so after high school, I was playing soccer over the summer. I had just done, done four years of soccer, a little bit of football, a little bit of swimming in high school and did a lot of drama and uh, theater and everything like that. But then when college came around, I wasn't really ready to go. And somehow somebody found me playing soccer at a, at an indoor soccer arena that a buddy of mine knew a coach and I got recruited to play soccer in college. And this was literally five weeks before college was going to start that fall semester and played there for a year, went to a community college after that, they had a coaching change. So I left there and Went to community college, play a little soccer there. Then I went to where I graduated from, finally, was Oklahoma State University. Uh, played a little soccer, rugby there. Um, they had club teams, so it wasn't a, you know, from Title IX, there wasn't the uh, uh, specific uh, scholarships available. But I got to play, and I got involved in a lot of really fun stuff, like uh, ministry with athletes through Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and um, started – Started really, honestly, where I am in sports was right after high school. It was with the YMCA, and I worked. I've been working in sports for over twenty years now. Wow, you played rugby. A little bit of rugby. I I enjoyed it. I I mean, I got recruited. The I got recruited in soccer to be a defender to knock people over, and so when I played a little bit of rugby in uh, in college, it was enjoyable. Um, it was very different. I didn't know I had, I thought I wore short shorts in soccer, but the, the rugby shorts, I tell you, were much shorter. Plus when you get into a scrum and you're arm over arm over waist, trying to, uh, you know, push people around, you, you know, your waistband gets grabbed by the guy next to you just so you can all push. And that was a first, that, that first experience was quite interesting. It's like, this is a very close sport compared to what I was just playing. 
Very intimate, uh, eh? But, uh, but I enjoyed the bruises. Very nice. What happened after college? How, how well, did you get into the workforce? Well, you know what's interesting about that is uh, I, I actually started the workforce before college in, in my career. Uh, because right, right after, right when I graduated high school, I was running through my neighborhood and I happened to run across the YMCA that where I was a kid, I learned how to swim there. I learned, I went to summer camp. Um, my grandpa taught me how to play racquetball at that YMCA in my neighborhood, excuse me. And I was running by and I just went in and applied for a job. I, I wouldn't even accept it to college yet. I was right out of high school and I started working in fitness and sports and through college, I went to college for 10 years off and on just for a bachelor's degree. Cause that's how passionate I am about school. It took, it took a very great lady, my current wife at that time, helping me get quite a bit motivated, which I think all of us have a really good story like that about, you know, your, your, your wife or your significant other helping motivate you through some things. And my workforce actually started, yeah, in the year 2000 with the Y. And I spent 15 years with the YMCA in two different states, three different states, all through college, actually. And um, when I worked in Oklahoma City, sports fitness, uh, moved to Stillwater, was director of sports over all the sports programs when I went to Oklahoma State while I was in school, while I was getting my recreation degree actually realizing I wasn't learning the, what everybody else was learning. I was learning, Oh, that's why I do what I do at my job. It's actually has a name. So I was, <laughs> I was, I was learning different things about, about my, my industry in recreation, in my recreation degree about the job I was working. And it was a really great collaboration for me because then the teachers recognized that and helped let me be somewhat of a, a undergraduate assistant to be able to help teach other students because I was so, I knew what to do with budgets and everything else and sponsorship and recreation and lesson plans, all this other stuff. So it was a fun experience and just college was great too. Just what we got to do. And, and I guess lastly, kind of through college, uh, then after college, I, when I graduated, I said, you know, I think I'm going to go find, uh, it was not a lot of room to grow at that YMCA there in Stillwater. So I found uh, Kansas city was calling and moved up to the YMCA in Kansas City, uh, was there for about three, four years, was the vice president overall, uh, all the sports in the, in the um, whole metro, there's about 14 YMCAs, uh, led all the youth sports, got to really enjoy the 5,000 people going through our sports each year. It actually was like 20,000 over the whole metro that we got to engage with, running big football tournaments and soccer tournaments and basketball across the the metro just really experiencing a fun time painting lines and hiring refs and dealing with parents and I, I really loved I love that I love that side of sports because I can I can talk about it all day and and when when I left the Y uh, which I thought someday I'd be an executive director of a YMCA you know in my 80s playing basketball with kids in the in the gym and just you know, someday just keel over, be like, oh, well, it's my time, but I loved it. And I, I went a different path. I started working at Sports Commission uh, in Kansas City and with Chamber of Commerce and the Tourism Bureau and learning that whole side of hospitality. And, and actually, instead of running events, I was getting events to come into town to be a part of sporting events like USA football, soccer, track, whatever it was. Tourism. Yeah. Tourism. So that, that, that was, that was a, I, I loved it. I loved it. I, it. That was really networking. I, I, I was able to shine and um, use my connector and my networking skills in, in, in the world, the chamber of commerce to you know, grow relationships. And I, the, the real connection here to what I do now is in, in that world of the chamber of commerce sports commission, I wanted to host a gaming event and I met a really uh, a lot of cool people in esports and gaming here in Kansas City, and hosted my own event with about 800 people. Had some great partners, and and this is where I am now, which hopefully you know we'll probably go into here in a minute. Wow, quite the journey! All that to reach <laughs> esport and gaming. That's right. That's right. Wow. Um, yeah. Talk to me about your first event. Like, 
what what motivated the first event what was the featured game you know mm-hmm. had you guys set it up was it tough to get people to join i'm guessing it would have been a bit early um it would have been a bit different to what people are used to take us through it yeah sure matt i i i recall wanting to do something different because there was uh, we had a conference space here in on the kansas side of kansas city um not not a big one like we talked about earlier off the call but a smaller one in the suburb of kansas city and i wanted to fill the space with i was actually looking to fill the space with a boxing event surprisingly (laughs) that i know you're involved in uh and 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 we were looking at maybe a wrestling event, which was it was like this uh, this this group this group of people kept coming to me saying, "Yeah, we want to have this uh, wrestling event," and and if you've ever if you've ever kind of seen that stereotypical backyard wrestling type group, that's kind of what that was. But the, this this conference space is real fancy, and they they said no to that, so it was it was kind of a good thing. So it let me. It let me uh, uh, let me kind of search for other things. And as a gamer for over thirty years, um, the the story goes: my dad worked at Radio Shack when I was a kid. So I I built computers and played remote control cars and played video games for my whole life. And the the understanding there was: I like games. I also like board games. And I have a lot of friends who play board games and people who actually have invented board games, I thought, well, it'd be great to have like a tabletop convention rather than just a sport, but also maybe some gaming, some video games. So I learned of a group here in Kansas City who actually would travel around to conferences and bring 30 to 40 computers to set up so you could actually have an event. And I was hooked. I said, oh, let's do it. That, that was the holdback. I didn't know what to do, how to bring in... How to, I didn't know, do I, do I get people to bring their own equipment? Do I, I mean, I knew how to plan an event, how to create an atmosphere, how to do registration, how to do marketing. I knew all that, but I didn't understand. And I, and I know how to make a bracket. I know how to make a tournament and, and whatnot, but I didn't know what I needed to do to get equipment there. And luckily I found some really good partners in Kansas City. And I think we're real lucky here. We've got a, a ton of groups Um that are in involved in gaming. We've got a group called Casey game on uh, we've got, I'm now on uh, now part of our, uh, uh, our part of our total sports commission here in Kansas city. We have an esports coalition of like 70 members from the whole area. And we're real lucky to have the national association of collegiate esports here in Kansas city that operates out of the NAIA offices, as well as our partners at generation esports and high school esports league, who is the longest running high school league for esports and largest as well. And uh, another one, Midwest esports and unified esports association. We just got real lucky. I, I, I wound up in a place where esports was thriving, even though it wasn't really talked about or on the radar there was a lot of groups uh, working. And so at that event, we had, uh, we had all these partners come in. We had booths and we had cosplay and we had uh, tournaments with Fortnite and Smash Brothers and Overwatch and League of Legends. And these groups came in and we had about 800 people there. It was a two or three day event. It was, it was really fun. We had an open bar, not an open bar. It was a, a, a concessions bar that really helped people kind of stay engaged at the hotel. And uh, it, it was a success. And it led me down a path to start learning more and seeing how I could use my experience in sports over the years to help an industry that I think is, as we all know, has no ceiling. Absolutely. Still just a $2 billion industry out of a $160 billion industry in gaming, which is esports is just a sexy word, right? But it's taking the world by storm, especially during this time where people are more home, more home more often because of COVID. Wow, quite the journey, actually. How has COVID changed the esports um, events industry? Like, what are you guys doing now? Yeah, I think for all my partners who are in the physical events, they've adapted. I think really anyone, anyone and everyone has adapted, but but most of us really 
are more than adapting. I mean, even my wife, when she was working at her church, it was not adapting, but it was creating. Everybody's creating new opportunities. And it's not really reinventing the wheel sometimes, but it's like, what, what do we do now? And I, I know the physical ev- events for esports had just as much of effect as conferences or traditional sports not being able to play March, April, May, June. You know, baseball's kind of back or whatever. But I think in events, events, the people moved online. And luckily, there's a lot of online opportunities. Uh, esports for sure is a very res- COVID, res- COVID resilient activity. Gaming, gaming. There, there's a there's a plus. There's a positive and a negative around um, all of this. And most people think there's a negative, but I mean the the positives you look for COVID. If you find the silver lining, you've got more time with your family. You've got uh, relationships that grow. More alone time. More time to read and study and learn. There's a lot of things that co- have come out of of this, I mean, healthier planet, healthier lifestyles, but also unhealthier lifestyles. And that's where at our foundation here, we really focus on that health and wellness with a lot of our partners, because let's just say for kids, for example, maybe they're home five or six hours a night after school. Now they're home all time. And instead of playing three or four hours of video games, they're playing 14 hours. So there is a downside to it. However, it is it is shown an increase just as much as Netflix usage or, you know, being on social media has over the past five, six months. And people have adapted. We've all, everything has been expedited. All the things that people wanted to do down the road, maybe in the fall or next year, was done in April because everybody needed to expedite what they were doing to meet the demands and the needs of their business, as well as keep their business afloat or, or, um, you know, create things. And I think for us as a nonprofit, we've been able to facilitate and help organizations in need. And especially we work with a lot of schools in that are in need, uh, in disenfranchised areas, inner core, um, urban areas with access. And I think, I think, uh, esports as a whole has, has, uh, been, uh, huge, has had a huge growth and we all have talked about it ever since week one. I mean, there's a 75% increase on esports and gaming and social media on the first week back in March when everything kind of shut down and it's there, there, there's been no slowing down. Very nice. Um, we spoke about the events and how your journey and how you got to where you are and spoken a bit about what you're currently working on, what you're currently doing with, Esports. Now, no journey is seamless and easy. You know, there's always challenges that you face on 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 the way through, and you've always found a way to transition to something that's going to take you forward and make you a a better individual, really. Or even if we're if we're referring to being a more developed professional, what's the biggest challenges that you face along the journey? How do you know when it was time to okay, um, I need to look at something new. I need to evolve. I need to be so on, so on, so on. Yeah, I think uh, I I feel like I'm a pretty transparent person and open and um, I think that's important. Uh, I think looking back at at failures in my life and looking back at um, maybe sometimes not being transparent enough or communicating well, I think, if we, if we really get down to that, uh, I'd look at, uh, if I could give myself advice, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago is just uh, being more open than I am now. I think I've grown a little differently uh, even through the past you know, year or two uh, in relationships. I think um, making sure uh, communication is really big. And I always look, I always look at sports and analogies for everything that I really do. And I look at when I, when I, I actually coached some soccer in college, uh, my old high school, and I've coached a lot of kids uh, anywhere from two year olds to 18 year olds in different sports, as well as I've refereed just about every sport in the high school and down level. And I, I always can remember these examples of coachability 
And coachability is huge, I think. I, I look at these students who have some really raw talent or these players who have some really raw talent, but they may not be coachable. And they don't want to play for a certain coach because maybe they run too much or they they uh, they run too much or they have to they get benched or something. So they they quit. And there is a there's an issue in a lot of a lot of sports and schools and teams where sometimes players aren't prepared to be coached because of their family situation or trauma in their life and quitting is easier. And I think, um, I think coachability has always been something for me to, to help even myself, but maybe try to give advice to people in the sense of if you're working with someone and, and am I, let's say, let's say you said to me, Hey, um, just turn your mic on or, you know, just read this over here or whatever about zoom. Like, yeah, just click. if you were telling me how to, how to use zoom, even though I know how to use it, I'm going to be respectful and understand that you're not micromanaging, but you're helpful. Okay. And that's where sometimes uh, if someone's retelling you something you already know, you can, you can be coachable and understand maybe they have 45 other things on their mind and they're just making sure you're ready to go. Like, let's just say in a team or a work environment and your boss is saying, Hey, make sure you get this done. It's a reminder, not always a, you know, like my, like my 11 year old says, I know dad, I know, I know. Like, if you know, then why, why haven't you done it? So the, the, the thing here is being open to, be coached and be told something you already know without being defensive, because that's a very uh, toxic thing for, for us at all. And I think then in lies your ability to show that you don't need that kind of over communication or that micromanagement, but also in the sense of how do you learn how then to communicate with words and with feelings that, Hey, I do understand what you're saying by telling me to do this. Uh, I do, I do, I have done this before, but thank you for all the information. It's much easier to have that conversation down the road than I know and don't tell me what to do and stuff. So I think coachability for me and all this, all this stuff and how I am where I am, I think being coachable and being okay to hear something twice and knowing that I know that's what I need to do, but I'm going to be respectful and I'm going to make sure I, I, because I can understand where that person is because I have been that person leading volunteers, leading staff and, and leading, let's say a group of referees and telling them all these things they need to do and repeat. I repeat myself quite often after I'm, this is the American communication rule. It's like a presentation, right? When you give a presentation, the American, the American way to do a, a PowerPoint slide is here's my outline of what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about it. And then I'm going to retell you what I told you to make sure I told you. So that's the American, you know, communication standard. You know, if you look at that compared to a you know, Japanese communication standard, it's <laughs> if they're going to tell you something, it may be the wind of the flowers is mightier than the storm of the sea. And you have to understand what that means. Right. So wow. like, there's, there's a whole different layer of communication you have to read between the lines compared to over communication, the American lifestyle. But that was a long answer, but I, I think coachability is a big thing for me. Awesome. Let's talk a bit about the foundation and what you guys are currently working on and working towards. And just tell people about what Varsity Esports Foundation is, why you guys started the foundation, what, what problem you're trying to solve, how you're trying to better people's lives, you know? General spiel. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, that experience I had when I hosted that event in that conference center, this was 2017, 18, I think. The the partners, the partners that we worked with, especially the high school esports league, uh, I, I met with Mason Molino, the CEO and founder, and we met. I remember meeting meeting for coffee at like a McDonald's because it was the only thing open wherever we were. And he was telling me all about what they do and how they have like 1500 schools across the country and what they did with scholarships and supporting students to go to college through esports and competitively playing across the country and just learning all about that. And I, I really dove into esports then and 
I, I was kind of involved for the past year. I was actually streaming on my own. I was actually streaming on Twitch and learning all about gaming and esports and undertaking my mind of marketing from marketing sports and marketing events to how do I market a brand and how do I start my own side hustle of, uh, you know, streaming. And I, it, it's, it's, it was an interesting path because I dove really deep into just not streaming and gaming like a lot of people do. I dove into understanding why people do it and how can I do it and how can I help people? I, I, I'm a little, I'm a little creative and I, I, I started on my own stream instead of playing games one night, I started designing my own artwork for my page while uh, for my own brand and people were watching and they said, Hey, can you make, can you make a, a logo for me for my uh, Twitch, Twitch stream or my uh, you know, online brand? And I said, sure. So about 150 clients later in about two years or a year and a half, I, I was on, on Twitch streaming art, creating, brands and teaching people about marketing and teaching people how to uh, pursue gaming and esports and uh, you know grow their their community and I started learning all that and then I go back to where I talked to Mason and I I've got this big understanding of what esports is and how it works and how people can build a brand and I have the sports mind background and I worked in a lot of now I've, I've always worked in nonprofit just about my whole life um, uh, for 20 years. And I've always worked with supporting those underserved, especially the YMCA giving scholarships and opportunities to families so they can participate in activities or be healthy. And I saw what Mason was doing. And I, and I looked at the map of all the 1500 schools across the country. And I noticed, wow, there's a lot of schools in the suburbs that are playing, but where's, where's all the dots for the schools in the rural and where's all the Scots and uh, uh, dots in the inner city. And I recognized, we both recognized that there, and he, he actually understood this, but he didn't know what, we didn't know what we were going to do. And uh, those schools in the inner city didn't have the access or the funding to really participate because they didn't have the equipment or they didn't have, they've always been held down. I grew up in inner city schools in Oklahoma city. I understand the problems of not having funding or people were worried more about the discipline and getting kids out of school and done rather than pursuing uh, college and careers. And it was a, it was a hard, hard struggle, but I, I, I am resilient because of, it, I think. So when we noticed there was a need for support, I said, man, we are really in my nonprofit mind. I was like, you really need to find a nonprofit that can help with these schools. And a few months later, um, kind of all got together and started this foundation and the varsity sports foundation. And I was still working at the sports commission, still running events. And by, it was last year, I went to meet with Mason. We we're going to talk about middle schools. We we're going to talk about like he wanted to get in the middle school space because they've been so heavily involved in the high school space, but they really need that pipeline of students to go from middle school, high school, college and, and beyond. And we didn't even talk about middle schools. He said, yeah, we're just, we're just real busy trying to figure out this nonprofit and how to, how to, how to, you know, how, what we need to do. And, and I said, well, let me give you some advice. Here's what you should do. And, so yeah, I think somebody really should run it full time, like like day to day. I said, well, I guess I could do it. And so last September, I became the executive director full time and just took over the role and uh, of executive director for the foundation and and started providing as much opportunity as we could for grants for those disenfranchised students in low income areas to support. Uh, devices, internet access, grants, scholarships, and really STEM learning through eSport clubs. And I've been doing that since last September and I love it. And I've, I've just been happy to be engaged with so much thing, so many things around like digital citizenship and suicide prevention and, and healthy lifestyles and diversity inclusion and being proactive in the gaming space because if, if we're not proactive, then we're reactive to things like COVID and all of our kids playing video games 14 hours a day. And like, who's going to do this? Who's going to take care of the digital babysitter issue right now? And well, nobody is, but we need to be proactive about that. So that, that was, that's a lot of our big goals is, 
advocating awareness, support, education, all around esports and helping people understand it a lot better, as well as providing access for those people who don't have access. Well, very nice. How, how does Varsity um, evolve and become an even bigger, big, bigger foundation? Like what, what, what needs to be done and what is needed? Well, here, here's the, here's the crazy thing about that, Amon. I, I'd rather us be, I'd rather us not exist. I'd rather, I'd rather we don't become big because the, the issue, the issue we're trying to solve is students, especially in, especially in this time, we understand now a lot more people have understood systemic racism, systemic inequality, uh, a little bit better in, in the world because people are talking about it more finally. Uh, there's a lot of naysayers and people out there who talk loud and who don't know what they're talking about and there's ignorance. But if I look at where I grew up and I look at the schools we work with, I see years and years of systemic inequality of redlining and, you know, not letting people go to college and house, house pricing, uh, prices uh, falling or not going higher because of systemic inequality and racism on, on the, you know, for African-American folks, as well as uh, those in minority in inner cities and people's suburban flight out to the suburbs. And I, when I say I'd rather we not be in existence is because we are trying to fill a need of providing access to have an equal playing field as much as the folks in the suburbs have. And yeah, we want to continue providing grants and equipment for those schools in the inner city, but why do we have to, why, why does a nonprofit have to do this? Why, why can't the community and the government and the schools all be an equal playing field? Well, there's a ton of, a ton of things in the way. There's a ton of things in the way, like, um, you know, where property taxes go to support schools, depending on the income of the houses, county, uh, state, federal, uh, uh, lots of different, um, regulations in place to really keep those schools down. And then these Title I schools we work with, which Title I is about free schools on free and reduced lunch, they, they interestingly have, what, I, what I've learned most recently is because some of these schools are Title I, they can receive some support from different ways, but they're, not, they're still not receiving the same support they are from the schools in their district that are not Title I. So it draws to, I draw this conclusion that all the schools are not getting the same X dollars in the district because the ones in the title one are seeing the district saying, Oh, well, we know the federal or whatever grants can take care of it. So we'll actually give less to those title ones. I don't know if this is true everywhere, but I've been learning this recently. It's kind of irritating. It's like another way to stick it to these inner city schools that, that, they are being doubly uh, hosed on funding. And so do we want to get bigger? Yeah, we want to have more bandwidth to be able to support more schools. But why? I'd rather, be, I'd rather us be funded out of existence because we were created. We, we created, I, I could have I gone in sports, like I said yesterday, and created a foundation around traditional sports helping kids. But there's a bunch of those. And when I saw esports and I dove into it heavily and I've been, I've been a gamer, I saw the need and there's only 3000 schools, high schools in the country that have esport clubs, but there's 36,000 high schools. So there's lots of room to grow. So how can we shape the message and change and advocate for it where there's actual equal funding playing field. So a nonprofit like us can either focus on other things that are proactive around digital citizenship or not be in existence because we don't need to support that need anymore because it's an equal playing field. Wow, very, um, very interesting answer. And it makes a lot of sense, though, because if there's no uh, development and coordination from the top, it's almost like you're just filling a leaking bucket and there's, there's never that improvement as a society, really. Yeah, 100%. I, I, I think my history, my passion, and, and, I, and I say me, I mean, the organization's values are my values, but it's really, it's our organization. It's everybody's organization. It's a nonprofit built to support 
as many as possible and to give as much access as possible. And I, I, I hope that it, when we have fundraisers and people are donating and they know the good that it can cause when we see the value of esports in schools, because right now a football team really can't compete uh, in a school sport. A lot of, a lot of teams, a lot of basketball teams won't be able to compete maybe in the winter because of COVID, but esports you can still actually compete at home and your coach can zoom call you and you can compete against another school. And so what we saw before COVID with, with, school activities, let's say in the high school space, even the college space, is you're giving kids belonging. The, the numbers go that 97% of teenagers play video games. It's a tie 90s. So that means just about every kid on a school campus is playing video games. Now when we look at that, we know that maybe 80% of kids are involved in activities. So there's, this, there's a subset of kids who are not participating in anything at school they're going back home they're probably playing video games and they're probably alone and they don't may not have friends so what we've noticed is you fill this gap you fill this need with an esports club or a gaming club it's uh, I, I i'm trying to find a better term than the chocolate on the broccoli because it, it, it is it is a way you draw people in there's there i'll think of a better term down the road to so really the the you, broccoli you can say it, it's fine. <laughs> the, the broccoli is the STEM education and the teamwork, and the collaboration and the critical thinking and the GPA increase and the attendance increase, and the idea of parents seeing their kids go to sleep earlier because they want to compete on their esports team just like they would if they're working out and trying to be healthy for a football game later that week. And we're seeing kids eat dinner with their families more often because they're not saying, mom, I can't pause this game right now in the middle of a Fortnite match. And I'm, I'm in top 10. Like I can't pause it. Like you can't, it's not super Nintendo. You can't pause it like you could in the day when we were kids and people they're, they're being smarter about what their choices are because they're preparing for competition and they don't want to let their teammates down rather than just themselves or their family. With all that, I look at, I look at why, why these subset of kids have belonging now. And we, we know these numbers are true because when we survey these kids in these esport clubs, 82% of them say, I don't participate in any other activities in school. So you're getting these, the subset of kids who don't have belonging, who don't have activities. And it can be any activity. It doesn't have to be gaming, but gaming works because a majority of them play video games. And when you bring them all together, you have a safe environment, uh, whether it be in school or at home, you're able to, you're able to help kids grow and progress and a little bit differently than sports and band and drama. You can't really do those things right now because competition or gathering is not allowed in a lot of places, but you can, we can both of us be on a zoom call and I can also be playing a video game while I'm chatting with you or doing whatever, because we have the ability to, and there's still an uneven playing field. There's kids with no devices at home and there's kids with no internet. There's 50, let's see, there's uh, 40 million people without internet access in the United States. Wow. And, yep. And there's about 9 million teenagers without access. So that means they're half, they need school or they need the library, which they probably can't go into because it's all closed down or they're serving books out the front door. And now we have, when COVID's over, we're still going to have 9 million kids without access because broadband internet and access isn't, isn't a utility. Like my friend James O'Haken says uh, out of Wisconsin, internet should be like a, a, a given utility, not, not something for the have nots and the haves. Um, so when I look at all of this, I, I hope that people will see that there is a huge benefit beyond what the loud voices say about video games being bad and us perpetuating gamers stay in the basement, drink your soda, drink your, your chips. And that's how we've been, that's how we've been perceived. But now people have learned from a top down that, Oh, there's these big events with uh, large streaming events and there's Ninja and shroud now coming back to Twitch yesterday and two days ago. And he, he, he made uh like all this money in seven hours of streaming 
or sponsorship deals. And then they learn about college scholarships for esports teams and high school scholarships that we give out. And I, I just, they learn the people becoming more literate about it. And, but there's still, you know, there's still kind of a weighing, weighing heaviness of, of, you know, video games or maybe they're not good for us or get outside and, and it's, it's going to be there for a while until we can kind of arrive above, rise above the noise. Very nice. How does the industry go from 2 billion to 10 to 20 to 30? The, the interesting thing about that is the esports industry at that 2 billion mark is, is being almost there. I mean, it's probably there right now with, with COVID <clears throat> is that these companies like the Coca-Colas and the uh, large, large companies sponsoring these big League of Legends events that have more, uh, more viewers than the Super Bowl, right? <clears throat> Their last year they had more, more viewers than the Super Bowl, which it's an international, it's an international event, not just what Americans love is American football. And I think for it to grow, there needs to be more widespread access and widespread engagement than just the top. And uh, in our nonprofit, I, I look at those events and I, and I say to an organization, yeah, you can use your marketing dollars to get your name on a stage at a, an event with 30,000 people in the stands and millions of people watching, but wouldn't you rather make a more meaningful impact by you know, giving dollars to an organization that's going to help that esports pipeline for those kids to be on that stage someday. So that's where we ask, like, help help us grow the industry at the base. Help us grow the industry so it it doubles and triples with the amount of players, not just the viewers and the fans, but the players. And the and the thing is, these kids in these clubs aren't players. They're all players two or three of them in a group of 10 are the IT person, the shoutcaster, the commentator, the marketing people. They're all, they're all involved in their own way. Just like if you were to take a NBA and all the jobs around an NBA, how to put on that event, replace that with esports. And if you look at a League of Legends event, there are 500 staff there probably in that arena, all making it, hap- making it happen. And maybe half of them are gamers that maybe they could have had an esport club when they were a high school student. So how does it double and triple and quadruple? And I think it's I think it's well on its way without it, without any real help because people have jumped in and there's a lot of unfortunately there's a lot of big money and dumb money in the industry and the dumb money just throws money at stuff to get their name and on things and there's a lot of uh just hey, we're partnering with this person, but what does it mean? Like what does a LinkedIn post saying this organization's uh, partnering with this organization just so they can use money to do more things, I guess, and have more marketing dollars. That That's not the same impact as uh, I'd look at our group, our friends over at generation esports with the high school esports league, they they're getting sponsors and donors investing so then they can help more kids <laughs> and they, they can provide more access. Just like us, we have a aligned mission. That's why we partner with them. And that, that's a more meaningful impact, I think, because there's, there's, there's plenty of research, there's plenty of podcasts about the business of esports. And I, was, I know you've had guys on your podcast who are in the business of esports. And that's great because it helps educate people and educate maybe those investors and educate those people who want to donate to a nonprofit like us. But um, the, the business side of it and the history side of it, it's, it's almost, it's almost overplayed. Like we've, we're like almost, get, we're about to get tired of it. Like we keep hearing, okay, everybody's doing this or something's happening and it's great, but where, how do we get to the core of it all? How do we get to the core of it? And how do we support this, this pipeline, just not for the celebrity player? And how do we, how do we have our own path beyond traditional sports? I, I the traditional sports path is great and it could be high school, college pro for a player, or it could be even for a coach. When I was coaching uh, and working at the Y, people say, hey, I want to be a college coach someday. What do I do? Well, you start out coaching Little League, and then you coach some middle school. 
you coach from high school as an assistant coach for football, and then you're a head coach, and then you get recruited to a small college to coach, and you move your way up because you can't just like I'm going to be a college or a pro coach right now. Nobody's done that. You don't just become a professional coach without having gone through the pipeline of coaching. So, I, in, in all of this answer, how does it grow? Um, I, I think it, it it doesn't need to be so sexy. <laughs> It's, it's almost too sexy for its own good. And th there's no ceiling on it. It's going to grow without anybody's help uh, because people want to play. People want a game and they want to be engaged and they want to find better and stronger ways to be a part of the industry. Well, Boa, you've been on quite the journey. You've been involved in many organizations. You've been in, um, your journey has been a bit different. You, you started work, then went to college. Not many people do that. Um, if you could give three pieces of advice to a young person looking to grow a career in sport, what are they? To grow a career in sport or esport or both? You... Well, I consider now esport and sport pretty much pretty much mm -hmm. one. If I'm if I'm going to be honest with you, sure. Um, because they're they're hand in hand in a, a, a lot of things. All the the major pro teams are developing esport teams, encouraging their players, leagues, you know. So it's it's definitely going to be pretty much one world. It's just it's just a matter of time if it if it doesn't supersede it. So um, yeah. So how does somebody grow a career in sport slash esport? I mean, they're in college now. What 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 needs to happen? Yeah, I think if three three simple piece of advice in really anything is to one shut up, two to listen. And three, help. And uh, if that's helping others or helping yourself, um, I think it, it's they're they're mutual. And I, I've I've learned over my my time to just shut up and listen. And I, I instead of knowing the next thing to say, it, it's important to hear what people are saying. And when it comes to sports, I think. I go back to coachability about shutting up and listening and helping yourself by being respectful and understanding that somebody's in a different world than you are right now. And you can help them by helping yourself. Um, I think if, if you're a college student looking to go into a sports career, whether it be a athlete or in marketing or entertainment or commentating or whatever it may be, then the the biggest thing is is just to really be engaged uh, be engaged be um take initiative with things be intentional uh, understand that people have their own roads uh, people have different traumas from you and it goes into play with uh how you're going to interact you have to learn how to interact with people and you have to interact, uh, you have to learn how to um, speak other, other languages, whether it be a love language or a, a, a language of, 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 of co-working. You've got to learn how to work with others. And you can't, you can't be in sports and not be a part of a team. You, if I ask you, Ahmad, what, if I ask you, really, when I, when I work with a lot of kids, I'll ask them what team they're on. And uh, usually they'll say, oh, yeah, I'm on the Tigers or I'm on, uh, you know, I'm on the, my football team or I'm on my, my uh, eSport team. I go, what other teams are you on? I go, um, well, I, I played this sport and it, it's really all around team. The, the, the team. the team aspect is really all around sport. I go, is there any other teams you're on? And then the, they, they finally start getting it after I kind of give some hints that, well, they go, well, I'm on, I'm on my, my school's team. They go, oh, well, I'm on my class team. We have a class. Or let's take work, for example. When I've worked with uh, teachers or organizations when I do team building stuff, um, the, I ask what team they're on. They go, well, we're on the, we're on the accounting team. Right? And then they've realized, well, oh, wait, I, I, have a, I have a family team. My, my family's a team. Like you got to get, you, you got to take perspective out. Uh, you got to have some perspective and take out the idea of, of just sport. But when we look at all the teams we're on, 
I mean, you and I are on a team right now trying to accomplish this podcast, right? We are working together to provide content and information. You're on a team with your, your organization to provide access and, and to these really cool things that you're doing, right? And if, if, we can, if we can realize that we're all on a team together and we're not trying to serve ourselves, but helping others and helping ourselves, then I think we're going to be a lot better off as a society. Uh, and maybe, maybe, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge nerd as you saw yesterday. I've got, I love, I love all these things behind me. I love Star Trek and I look at Star Trek and I think how the heck did they get so cool, so cool without really worrying about money and everybody supporting each other. What, what, what future can, can we have that future please? And I think look at all when perspective changed in Star Trek and they learned that they are not their own planet and there's all these galaxies and planets everywhere, your perspective changes and you don't just think about your own little bubble. And I, I think if, if we can get outside of ourselves sometimes and just be intentional with others and listen, then, you know, we're going to have a, we're going to have a much better, much, much better team. Right. And that team is wide ranging. Absolutely. Very wise words. Um, Mr. Bubba, you've been, you've been amazing. Uh, you've shared a ton of insight with us. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us on, on the show. Before we wrap things up, um, where can people get in touch with you online? Yeah, you can go to varsityesportsfoundation.org. Uh, all of our social links are at the bottom, or you can find us really anywhere on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all at Varsity Esports Foundation. And it's all one word. Twitter, Twitter's got a little shorter, so it's V Esports FDN as a kind of a little shortening spell out there. But yeah, we're we're on social media. I'm definitely you. I I spend all day on LinkedIn uh, under under Bubba Gaddert, G A E D D E R T. You can find me. I'm pretty much I pretty much overpost and over. I'm um, I'm an overposter on LinkedIn, so you'll you'll find something of mine sooner or later, and uh, yeah, we'd happy happy to people to come to our website and feel free to donate. Eighty dollars actually supports one student with STEM education learning, so if you're willing to donate eighty bucks, that helps one kid. Very nice, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bubba G from Varsity Esports Foundation. Thank you very much for joining me on the Sports Finder podcast. Thanks, Amon. It was really great being here. Thank you for listening to the Sports Finder podcast. We'll catch you on our next episode. Y'all ready for this?